So great song, was that? Lovely song. I hope we'll do that again. And maybe we can all join in as well in the future. If you weren't, then I was singing along a little bit myself. I don't suppose I was the only one doing that. We're looking into God's Word together from the New Testament, the Bible. And uh, we're in uh, Acts chapter 18 today. That's on page 1114. If you like to follow along in, in the Bibles that are nearby in the seats. Uh, it'll also come up on the screen as well. And uh, we're, we've been thinking in these last uh, few weeks, and we will be for a few more weeks too, about the early days uh, of the church, those uh, days of, of great growth um, after Jesus uh, rose from the dead and, and returned into the uh, direct presence of God. You, you remember the church began to grow and flourish and it grew right out into, into the Roman world, not just around Jerusalem and in Palestine and so on, but, but right across uh, a world that was uh, very different to the world of, uh, uh, in which Jesus and the early disciples lived and, uh, and, w- and where Jesus uh, taught and so on. Uh, and we're looking into uh, the book of Acts, which is the historical account of what happened as the church grew outwards, or at least part of what happened. It's certainly what Luke was involved in. He wrote the book of uh, Acts. Uh, and also we're thinking, as we did last week, uh, looking into some of the epistles, the, the letters that were written by uh, Paul and others into those early communities of believers. And, and, and we're seeing that the world that, that the church grew and flourished in is really very similar to our own world in lots of ways. And there's a reason why, why we're doing this. I, we want to, to get hold together that, of what God did then and what God can still do in our situation. We want our faith to grow as a community, as individuals. Faith, as, as we were hearing uh, last week, that, that expects that God will work and is available for God to work through us and, and in prayer and expectation and uh, encouraging one another to see what God is doing and to be part of it uh, as our faith grows. You see, some people, I sometimes go to prayer meetings and, uh, and uh, not here, I'm, I'm not thinking of one here before you something, oh no, he's talking about us. Um, see, one recently where, you know, the, the, the whole sense of the prayer meeting was, oh Lord, it, it's so awful. You know, Britain used to be a great Christian country and, and now it's so bad and oh, it's terrible. And what are we going to do about it? And, 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 you know, it's a really very negative and depressed and, and from one point of view, it's absolutely wrong. <laughs> right to pray like that we certainly don't have the influence that we used to have of the christian faith in this country but we can get so depressed because of the challenges around of the culture around of the city that we're part of but but we forget that what we're experiencing now is exactly how it was when the early church grew and burst into life and flourished it was this kind of world It wasn't a world of faith. It wasn't a world where everybody believed in one God. It wasn't a world where the family values were sacrosanct and everything like like we imagine it used to be like in the good old days of Great Britain and the empire. No, the the, the world that the the church flourished and grew in was exactly as chaotic and confused and and pluralistic and uh, and out of control and and everything as our world is today. And the church grew in that world and, and, and flourished in that world and actually changed that world. So maybe we can be part of that kind of movement for change again. 
So let's not be depressed. And we're looking at these passages to see what we can learn about how they grew. Because we want to be growing like they did. Because they grew. We could grow. We want to be growing in these three directions. As we've said, part of our church vision is to be growing up towards God in that sense. Closer to him. Closer to to one another. But growing outwards as people come to know Jesus. And it's really... Only what Jesus told us to do, isn't it? Yeah, remember the Great Commission, what Jesus said to his disciples before he returned into his Father's presence. He said, go and make disciples. Teach people to obey what I've commanded. Do it everywhere. And he gave them that promise that he would be with them always. Because he is the living Lord. He says, all authority is given to me. I'm the king. You can do it. I'm with you. Go and get on with it. And in these last few weeks uh, here in Portsmouth, we've been looking into how the church grew in two particular Roman cities. The city of Antioch, which was on the eastern side of the empire, the biggest city, uh, the third city in the empire at the time, right over in Syria, Turkey. And it's actually in Turkey today, but it was in the Roman province of Syria. And also uh, a Greek city called Thessalonica, right on the other side of the empire, on the eastern side. And today we're thinking about another big uh, Roman city called Corinth. And as before, we're going to look at what happened in Acts. And then in the next couple of weeks, we'll think a bit deeper. Because uh, when uh, Paul writes his letter to the Corinthians, the church that was started in Corinth, we get a bit more idea of what's kind of going on uh, in their lives as he writes to them. So Corinth then, Acts 18 verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. It was a big city, Corinth. At least eighty to 100,000 people lived there. We don't really know for sure. I say at least. There could have been as many as 200, 250,000. It could have been the size of Southampton. It's a bit hard to tell from the ancient world. It certainly was the, the capital city of its province. It's in Greece. The current Corinth is still there today. Um, it was the capital of that, that area called Achaia in the Roman Empire. It was the, the biggest city in the region. It was a successful city. It was very Roman. It, uh, there was a phrase about it. Some people used to say about Corinth that it was more Roman than Rome was. It was kind of, it was, it had a, it was proud of itself. It was a sophisticated place. It was a big commercial center. It was kind of stuck between two ports on either side of a small isthmus. Hard for me to say. Hard for anyone to say. Particularly hard for me to say. A little, you know, peninsula bit and, and the ports on either side. And, and this city stuck, was stuck there in the middle of it. And trade was good. And, and culture was uh, very vibrant. It was a big commercial center had games, sophisticated kind of games, and uh, you know, like the Olympic Games were held in, in Corinth. It was a, it's a really kind of happening, happening city. Bit of a wild place as well. They worship love, the goddess of love, which by that they meant sex, actually. And, and so it was a pretty kind of free and easy place. In fact, there was a word in the language, if you said, I'm going to go out Corinthianizing... It, what it meant was you're going to go and have a pretty wild time. You know, the word Corinth was so associated with wildness and freedom and easygoingness and so on morally. So that's it. Lots, I can give you lots more background, but some of you may who've got good memories may remember, <laughs> or you may not. 
May 2011, we looked at Corinth in detail. And if you want to get more of the background, I suggest you go and have a look at the first one on those series in May 2011. It's on the web. If you want, uh, email me. I'll send you a link if you want more. But let's read on and see what happened then. Verses 1 to 8. Here we are in this city. Paul is in this city. He's come there from Athens. He's arrived. In verse 2, there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, the emperor at the time, had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. So we'll read on in a minute. But here's Paul then. He arrives as a stranger in this city. He's on his own. His kind of traveling companions and co-workers, Silas and Timothy, have not yet joined him. Uh, He's been at Athens, another great city, and uh, he's moved on from there. And uh, 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 and and Silas and Timothy, rather, are probably back in Thessalonica, the other city that we were thinking about uh, last week. Uh, They're helping the church there. And Paul's uh, on his own in Corinth, and there he meets a couple, married couple, called uh, Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, They're a Jewish background couple. They've got a business. They, they, they've, they've got a business t- in tent making. Actually, the, the, the word is probably broader than tents. Tents were uh, made of tents as well. So sometimes they would be called uh, leather workers. Uh, so so it's, got, it's not just a kind of, you know, leather was really important for making all kinds of stuff. So, it, you know, it's not some kind of sideline leisure business. It's really at the heart of, you know, what, what they needed in their economy. Lots of things were made out of leather in the Roman world. So there they are. They've got a business and Paul works there with them. He stays with them and he works alongside them. Now, Aquila and Priscilla were almost certainly believers at this time. Um, if they hadn't been, it's almost certain that Luke would have told us so. Also, it's interesting that they've been exiled from Rome. And we know from other records, there's a Roman historian called Suetonius who, who writes about Rome at the time. And actually, one of the very early references to Jesus existing uh, can be found in Suetonius's writing. And he writes about uh, what was going on in Rome at this point, where he talks about how a number of the uh, people, uh, there, there was trouble rather in the Jewish community on account, he says, of someone called Christus, C-H-R-E-S-T-U-S, he's writing in Latin, uh, which sounds a bit like Christus and, uh, and it, it's almost kind of certain that there was, there was trouble in the Jewish community because people were talking about Christ, were talking about Jesus and, that the, and, and because of that, 
there was a kind of a rule went out that, that some people needed to be exiled. And, and it, it's almost certain, again, it's hard to tell exactly, that, that the people that went were, were probably the followers of Jesus that got kicked out of the Jewish community in Rome and uh, the, the government kind of sanctioned it. And that's how uh, Priscilla and Aquila get to Corinth. But there they are. They're in this big, big, big city, a successful city, a city that's satisfied with itself, pagan, everything you needed for all your inclinations are available at Corinth. How on earth is the church going to be born and grow there? What's Paul going to do? And what can we learn? There are three basic things. Here's the first one. Paul quite simply takes the opportunities. See what he does? He just starts where he is. He's working with Aquila and Priscilla in the Jewish community. Um, in, in the Jewish community, he's working away with them. So naturally, he goes to the synagogue. He always did this anyway. And it's an opportunity to contribute. Paul is a rabbi. He's been trained as a Jewish teacher. He was brought up in, in the Pharisees. And, and so naturally, he starts. He does best. He reasons with people about Jesus. He reasons with them in the synagogue. It's not particularly spectacular, but he just gets on with it. He lives his life. He gets involved in the business along with Aquila and Priscilla. He makes tents and leatherworking stuff. And then he goes and he finds people who want to know about God, and he tells them they happen to be in the Jewish community, and that's, that's where he finds them. Gets on with it. He takes the opportunity as it's there. He's a rabbi, so he does it that way. He uses his training, he uses his gifts, he uses his background. He, he, he's been called by God to do that. And that's what he just opportunity and does it. Now, Quinn and Priscilla, they're not rabbis. They're not like Paul. But they're there, they're living there, they're supporting him, they're part of it. They're part of that community. There'll be a bit more about that later. And then what happens? Silas and Timothy arrive. Maybe they've come with money from the church in Thessalonica. And so Paul, it says in the text, is able to give more time doing what he does best. Teaching people, arguing with them, proving that, that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the king that God had promised in the Jewish community. They were waiting for God to intervene again and send this one Christ. And, and Paul's whole point is... Jesus who's come, he's the one you're waiting for. And he keeps uh, explaining it to them. Well, they don't like it. They oppose him. They're abusive to him. So what does he do? He moves on. He focuses on the Gentiles. He, he knows the Gentiles, people are interested. And, he, and we hear now of someone who's a worshipper of God, this man Titius Justus, who lived next door to the synagogue, he's not a full-blown Jew, but he, like a lot of other Gentiles, would go along to the synagogue to find out they were curious. They wanted to know about God. And they saw the lives of these uh, uh, good-living Jewish people and thought, oh, we'd we, we like to have a bit of that. Let's go along and find out. And there they are. They're in the Jewish community learning. Maybe some of you are a bit like that here today. You're, you're not kind of completely uh, uh, full on with the whole Christian faith, but you're, you're happy to be here and find out more. And, and that's what it was like in these Jewish congregations. And, and there are people like that. And Paul says, I'm going to focus on those people. And, and that's exactly what he does. So he moves, uh, uh, makes the basis of his operations the house of Titius, Titius Justice. 
his friends come along. Handy that it's next door to the synagogue. Maybe people came along. Hey, I bet can't, probably can't wander too far from that. No. Okay. You know, as they were going along to the synagogue, you coming to the synagogue today, Titius? No. Uh, I've got this guy, Paul, here. I'm finding what he's saying really helpful. Oh, we were going to the synagogue. Well, don't worry. I live next door. Come to my place instead. You can imagine how feelings might have got little tents in the Jewish community, as we shall see later on. But, but that's what's going on. Paul is saying, I'm going to focus on this, this place. I'm going to keep doing what God's called me to do. I'm just taking the opportunities. And what happens? Lots of people, it says, actually, believe in the Lord and are baptized. They understand and believe the truth about Jesus. They respond in their hearts and they turn to him. They say, yeah, this is for me. I I want to commit myself to following Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He is God's king. He is God's rescuer. I want my life to be in his hands. And they get baptized as a sign of that. As they break with their past and move into the future with Jesus. As they turn from sin in their lives and they begin to follow him. They believe and they're baptized. Each part matters. Hearing the truth Believing it, responding to Jesus, being baptized. It's all important. all part of the process of beginning faith in Christ. Have you been baptized? If you haven't, there's an opportunity. Early in the new year, we are going to have a baptism service here again. So if you want to be baptized, ask myself or uh, Louise before she goes on maternity leave or even afterwards. But probably better not, or David at the welcome desk, or somebody afterwards, and we'll, we'll, we'll fit you into uh, with those who are being baptized. So how does it all get going? Where does this growth come from? Well, it comes from Paul simply taking the opportunities in front of him, responding to what happens wisely, following through with those who are interested, not just sticking to where he started, but being flexible enough to see, yeah, Okay, this isn't working here, but I'm going to go with what the Lord's doing here. So what do we learn? Are we like that? Are we just open to the opportunities in front of us, in our own way, according to our own wiring, in our own situation? See, Priscilla and Aquila, they're fascinating, aren't they? They weren't like Paul. They weren't rabbis. They were tent makers, but, but they were involved Paul was doing all the arguing and the reasoning and the talking, but they were part of it as well. And maybe there are ways that we can find out that God would use our wiring, our gifting, as we have opportunities in front of us to point people to Jesus, just to, just to do, get on with taking the opportunities. Can we be like that? Can we be aware that there are those people all around us who want to know about the Lord? Do you realize that? There are people all around us in whom God is working, whispering to them. People who pray occasionally. People who are in desperate or maybe not so desperate states, but who are seeking God like Titius Justice was. Let's go with the Lord with an eye open for those people as well. As we live our lives as we spend time on, on what some people call our front lines. Ever heard that expression? You know, front line is you know, where you are when you're not here in church, you know? When you're at work, when you're in your neighborhood, or if you're not working, when you're doing whatever you do during the week. That's the front lines, where we're living for God, where he wants us to be. Are we aware and taking opportunities, prayerful in those places? 
to honour him, to live for him. It's how we want to be as a church, how we want to be growing. That's why what we do in this community matters. The outreach project, what we do on Thursdays, what we do in toddlers on Tuesdays, what we do at kids club on Tuesdays, what happens on Saturdays at breakfast club. All these things are, are part of us wanting to take the opportunities that God gives us through all kinds of things. Some of us uh, were really helped by a course we did a few years ago called Lost for Words. Anyone remember that Lost for Words course? Maybe we should do it again. But there was a great prayer that went with the course, which encouraged us to pray um, every day, or certainly whenever we could. Remember what it was? I've written it down, so I'm cheating. So the prayer was, Lord, give me eyes to see the opportunities, courage to take them, and wisdom to know what to say. It's a good prayer, isn't it? Eyes to see the opportunities, courage to take them, wisdom to know what to say. And it's good because it assumes that Jesus is going to do it. He's at work through us, in us, in our lives. Well, let's read on. Verse 9. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. So it's going pretty well, isn't it? Lots of people are coming to Christ, following Jesus, being baptized, but Paul isn't happy. He's uneasy. Actually, more than that, he's afraid. Why? Well, we're not really sure, actually. But he is. It could have been that he's just come from Athens and he had quite a tough time in Athens. They gave him quite a grilling, the intellectuals there. It could have been that this thing about Corinthians, uh, the Corinthian city, Corinth rather, as a city worried him. Certainly if, if at some point you have a look into 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 3, he looks back on his experience. He, he, he goes back on how he felt when he went to Corinth. He says that he, was, he came in weakness and fear and with much trembling. That's what he says. That's his own description of his state of mind and heart as he was in Corinth. He possibly wasn't even sure that he he could carry on at times while he was in Corinth. Whatever the reason, Jesus speaks to him in a vision. Verse 9. Whenever Luke in his writings refers to the Lord, almost always he means the Lord Jesus. It's one of Luke's little kind of characters. He says the Lord appeared to him. He's referring to Jesus. So the Lord Jesus appears to him in a vision. And what happens? He says, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't stop. I am with you. Does that remind you of anything? Remember that great commission? As you go, wherever you go, make disciples. Keep going. Teach them to obey. I am with you always until the end of the age. Maybe Paul, uh, Paul certainly wasn't there when Jesus uh, gave that commission. I'm sure he would have been told about it by the other apostles. 
But here is a reiteration of that, isn't it? He's saying to Paul, keep going. I'm with you always. Jesus is saying to Paul and to us, fear does not have to be the last word. It does not have to be the controlling factor. The presence of Jesus can be bigger than our fears, and we need to get that perspective. His peace can prevent fear from controlling us. Controlling us. But there's more in this vision, isn't there? Paul is told something else. It's also quite inherent in the, in the Great Commission. But there's this phrase, I have many people in this city. And what's that mean? Well, lots have been written about that. But what's quite interesting is this, this word people, I have many people. It's the same word that's used in the Old Testament Greek version for Israel, the people of God. You know, God promised to bring this people, you know, into a special relationship with him and to have this people that he loved and to work in the lives and, uh, and the, the kind of community of this people. It was part of his promise to, to uh, the Jewish people in the Old Testament that we know has been fulfilled in Jesus. And Jesus is saying, there's a people, I've got a people here. There's a bigger purpose, Paul, than you can see. There's more to what's going on here than, than you can even kind of grasp. There's going to be a people that belong to me in this community, is what Jesus is saying to Paul. So you can keep going. It's as good as done in one sense. And Jesus promises Paul protection at this time from harm. And it's not a blanket protection because, in one sense because in the future Paul did suffer all kinds of things. But in this occasion, Jesus is saying to Paul, it's okay, don't be fearful, you're not going to come to harm in this city at this time. Don't worry, don't be afraid. He's saying to Paul, whatever happens to Paul comes through Jesus. He's in it, he's with him. And so Paul stays and he keeps going for 18 months, teaching the word of God, it says. A reminder again that Paul's not just kind of uh, you know, peddling his own ideas, he's preaching the word, the truth of God into this uh, city. And he keeps on doing it. And verses 12 to 17, we won't read them because of time, tells us actually how uh, the, the word that comes from Jesus is fulfilled. And, and Paul does go through quite a risky time. It gets very hard. There's a united attack on the Christian community. Paul actually ends up in court about to answer charges. But then as he's about to kind of speak for himself... The, the, the judge just says, yeah, dismisses it. And, there, and as a result of that, protection in Roman law is offered, as it were, or given in precedent to the, the Christian community in Corinth. It's an amazing kind of uh, fulfillment of the promise that, that Jesus made. But I want to move on and ask ourselves, well, okay, what can we learn about how to see growth then in a tough place? See, Paul is not just taking the opportunities, he's doing that. But he is also, and here's my second main point, trusting the Lord. He's trusting the Lord. Now, it can be tough for us, can't it, to grow in times of opposition, with challenges, with fears. Fear can be a big part of our lives sometimes. Discouragements or inadequacy, maybe we feel sometimes... 
I just don't think I can carry on. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, uh, Mary's in the crash, so, uh, but I, sometimes I was going to say, if, I, if, if we had 50 quid coming miraculously into our bank account every time I said to Mary, I don't think I can carry on any longer, uh, you wouldn't need to pay me a salary since I've been there. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there, there are times where you think, I just, I just don't know whether I can carry on, really. Paul felt like that. Isn't that encouraging to know that Paul, you know, we, we often, often think of, you know, we even call him Saint Paul, you know, the superman, the, the superhero. He felt at times he just didn't know whether he could carry on. And at these times we need to reconnect with Jesus again, don't we? With his commission, with the promise of his presence with the fact that he has a purpose, that there will be a people that belong to him in this city. And in fact, it says in the Bible, in every people group on the planet, there will be people that belong to Jesus. So some of you may be hearing this in your Indian Ocean Island, because I know, Heather, you listen to this. Jesus is saying there will be a people from your group. There will be people in Central Asia. There will be people all around the world who will be part, connected with Jesus. So it's worth carrying on wherever we are. He knows about the pressure. And he does protect us from ultimate harm. And and there are times when he will protect us from the immediate thing. Sometimes he heals us. Sometimes he, he takes away the thing that's in the way. Other times he allows us to go through it and he goes through it with us. Ultimately, though, we are safe in his hands because the worst that can happen to us is that we can die. And to be out of this world is to be in his presence, isn't it? Ultimately... He promises his presence, his peace, we need not fear. Whatever happens, it goes through him. We can remind ourselves of that together, can't we, as a whole community. That's why we gather, to remind ourselves of these things. When we pray, when we let it out before him, how we feel. I would imagine, I suspect, it's normal in scripture, although I'm slightly reading into it, that Paul's vision of Jesus in the night may well have come as a result of his praying. Often in the Bible, people pray and they receive visions. It may have been, but I don't know, but it may have been that Paul had been pouring out his heart to the Lord and saying, Lord, I, I don't know what it is about this city, but I just don't think I can carry on. And then the vision came. bit speculative, but the point is, though, we, as we pray, we pour that out before him. We need that at times individually as well. We need those individual experiences of his closeness. We maybe need prophetic words of encouragement from one another, from God, through one another, to each other, in your house group, or if you you sense the Lord's got something uh, for you to share with a brother or sister, or or you want prayer for something, make use of the opportunity. You know know the stuff, don't you? Anyone who comes and sits down here gets prayed for. If you want to be prayed for, come and sit down here after the service, or even before the service ends. That's the deal. Want to be prayed for, that's the place to go. And if it's too noisy, then someone from there can take you somewhere quiet. We can find somewhere. I was in a church. Something happened to me two Sundays ago. I was in a a New Frontiers church in in Cornwall. And uh, something happened, and it's never happened before. Somebody shared a prophetic word. I sensed the Lord saying, actually, just to me, this is for you. And 
milliseconds, the guy leading the service, I was sitting, well, I was kind of sitting about there where MM is, kind of at the side there, on right at the side. He said, I think that's for you. <laughs> he said, oh, that's a bit dramatic. Uh, yeah, not for you, MM, but I was there. And, uh, and uh, I, I shared, I said, actually, yeah, you know, it was. We need that, that, that prophetic reminder of the presence and the truth of Jesus as it's applied to us on occasions. Something that you can do in your house group, maybe, or as you pray with one another. Expect Jesus to be working. He is working. He is with us. It is his word. We are his people. We can look out for him working, for him speaking. And we need to get in the place in our hearts where we can see that. We can hear that. We can live like it's true because it is true. Growing in a tough place. We need to take the opportunities. We need to trust the Lord actively. He really is with us and we can live in that trust. There's one more thing. And I'm going to go pretty fast. I intended to. Look at verse 18 onwards. Let me just read verse 18 on. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, well, don't worry about that, he had his hair cut out of vow. And then verse 19, they arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila, and he went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. That's in Ephesus. Uh, and uh, there's a few incidents in Ephesus. And then we come to verse 23. Paul goes up on to Antioch, and then he comes back through other, other kind of areas there in verse 23. Verse 24, now I've just backtracked. Priscilla and Aquila then are in Ephesus. Okay, Paul's gone on. He's left Priscilla and Aquila. The ones that were in Corinth are now in Ephesus. Okay, And then verse 24, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor. That's an understatement. The actual original is he was a fantastic speaker and a fiery communicator. He was horrendously and marvelously gifted in the area of communication and so on. And he taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. And when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, that's back in uh, the Corinth area, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. They're the people back in Corinth. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the Christ of the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. And while Apollos was at Corinth, etc., verse chapter 19. Got, got the idea. They go on to another city. Paul goes on. Aquila and Priscilla go with him. Paul goes on to Antioch. Priscilla and Aquila stay in Ephesus. Meantime, somebody called Apollos shows up in Ephesus. He's a really brilliant speaker. Marvellous. But there's something that he hasn't quite got. Priscilla and Aquila say, we can help him. And they kind of get him on the right track. And they think he'd be great for Corinth. And they send him back to Corinth, where he indeed is a great help. That's a quick summary. I want us to think very quickly about Priscilla and Aquila and just notice how things were working in these early church communities. They're with Paul. He describes them in Romans 16 as his fellow workers. They don't do what Paul does, but they're really part of it. Look at them. Look at, look at them. They're great, aren't they? They're relational people. They're hospitable people. See how they use their home? 
Corinth, when Paul comes to Corinth, he stays with them in their home. He, they look after him. They feed him. They say, come and be part of our business. And, and, and they were a great support to Paul. And here they are in Ephesus doing the same thing. They spot this fiery orator from Alexandria. Alexandria was the best university in the world at that time. And it produced fiery people like Apollos. And he'd come to know about Jesus but didn't quite get it all. And they see him and they say, Apollos, come around and have some meals with us. Let's talk about uh, Jesus a bit more. Let's talk about not just John the Baptist, but let's talk a bit more about Jesus and, and how he told us to baptize people. And they gradually kind of get him sorted out a little bit where he was a, a bit dodgy in some of the things he hadn't quite grasped and they send him back tough places in fact all places to see growth that happens as different kinds of gifts come together god works as people sustain each other paul and the others uh, paul is not just trusting in the lord not just taking the opportunities he is sustained by others by brothers and sisters in community places where uh, growth happens in places where the ministry matters more than everyone being the same or everyone agreeing on everything all of the time or even have got everything right to start with but but where there's potential and the potential of people can be realized in the context of relationships and time together and and help you see the picture that there is of how it worked then and we need to sustain each other if we're going to grow in a tough place we need to let the Lord work in us to, to help us to sustain each other. We need to be people like Priscilla and Aquila in our own ways, to be relational, to be giving, to be able to acknowledge together different kind of gifts. That's why we have house groups. That's why we want a life outside of just this service, why we, want, why we have coffee together afterwards. We want to encourage and sustain one another in what we're, how we're living for Jesus and what we're doing in our lives and stuff. We want to be talking about how our lives are going and what we might need prayer for and all that kind of stuff in our house groups on Sundays whenever we're together. We need that, don't we? To grow potential. That's why we want to encourage under 30s in, in, in this church. Why, why, God willing, we want to appoint someone onto the staff with, with, with that brief amongst others. To grow potential gifts. To encourage, to nurture. I've got to stop. Ways to grow then as a community, even in tough places. Take the opportunities. Where are your opportunities? Where's your front line then? Is it your work? Is it where you study? Is it your neighborhood? Is it your family? What are the opportunities in front of us there? Because some of us take time taking opportunities here. If you're free when the projects are happening, could you be part of that, taking an opportunity here? Being in the place somewhere where people are seeking the Lord. Do you want to help out with Christianity Explored, for example? Or be part of the youth work, or be part of something that's going on? taking the opportunities here the building project is about taking opportunities in the city as we want to use the building so you can get involved in that by giving by praying and in future if you've got uh, availability to be involved in what happens in it or to give towards it or pray for it taking the opportunities trusting the lord to know that you don't need to be afraid he's with you we can keep going and serving him. We can be in a place where we hear that from him. Don't be afraid. I am with you. He's got purposes far beyond the perspectives of our horizons. 
many people in this city where we are, trusting him and sustaining one another, living in community, making sure that house groups are doing that. Be part of one. Be hospitable. And I've said before, hospitality isn't about uh, where you do it, what you do with your home. It's to do with what you do with your time and how you share that with other people. Sustaining one another, working together. Let's pray that we'll be a, a, a community that grows in Southampton or wherever we are, however tough it is, because we take the opportunities, we trust in the Lord, and we sustain one another as he enables us. Amen. Where's Margaret?